Alright, so I think everything is ready to go. I finally managed to get all the dog hair out of the air vent. Hello? Wolf clean? Quiet. Are you seriously watching that? Yes, it's the only thing worth watching at 3 in the morning besides the news. I'm heavily invested in the story, so shush. Good God. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Deniable Assets, the show where we, your hosts, try to fill you in on the goings-on of the sixth world, or we would if my partner would stop watching La Promesa. Oh, I've already seen this episode. I just like that part. So, yes, welcome back to another episode. We help shine a little light on the darkest parts of the shadows to help you avoid the danger, or that's the idea. Sometimes we shine a light or outright tell you what's going to happen, and still you do your own thing. Tell him about it, Wolf. Jesus, would you just let it go already? He's gone, and if he knows what's good for him, he'll stay gone. It's over, so drop it. (laughs) That's comforting. But indeed, let's move on to the topic of today. This, folks, is another special episode brought to you by us. In keeping with our mission of to educate you of the geography of the world, like we're a late-night infomercial or something, today's episode is all about Azatlan. You know, I've actually been looking forward to this episode, strangely enough. Now I've done my fair share of smuggling runs across that border. Hell, I've even got a bounty... Ah! Jesus, what the hell was that? <coughs> oh, I mean, I have a deep history in that region alone. Yeah, a... A bounty of knowledge. Yeah, nice save there, bandit. But like our episode about the Kaz, we're going to need to look back into the history of the nation. Going back to before Europeans discovered this part of the world that was already found. First, while doing research for this episode, I discovered that the term Aztec in Old Nohatl language doesn't refer to any one specific ethnic group. Not like how it's used in the more modern sense. That's not something that's really important to know about Azatlan. It's just something interesting I found. The Aztecs controlled an area of central Mexico from about the 14th to 16th century. The Aztec Triple Alliance was an empire formed of three city-states of Tenochtitlan, Tacuba, and Texcoco. Together, these three cities began to grow their political capital and eventually moved to conquer their neighbors. Though it's important to note that this was a different kind of empire. The Aztecs didn't hold large swaths of land through military garrisons like European or Asian civilizations. They would conquer a city, then install Aztec-friendly rulers, and that was it. The new ruler would pay the city's tribute to the empire, and all was well. The empire stretched from the Pacific to the Gulf of Mexico and even reached as far south as Guatemala. But despite 200 years of slow expansion and cultural, economic, and military dominance, in 1521 the Aztec Empire was destroyed when Cortes allied with some of the empire's traditional enemies. Montezuma II, the last emperor of the Aztecs, was killed while a prisoner of Cortes. 
Before we go further on this nation and people, I'm sure you're asking, but Ome, what about the human sacrifice? Where's the blood? Where's the meat? Well, we all know it. Yes, human sacrifice was present throughout many Mesoamerican cultures, but the Aztecs took this to the next level. Around the late 1400s, during the consecration of Tenochtitlan's Great Pyramid, it's recorded that the priests sacrificed 80,400 people in just four days. And this is the Aztecs' own records, not their enemies trying to make them look bad. Now, those numbers are probably an exaggeration, as it's very unlikely they could have rounded up that many people in that short amount of time. But yes, human sacrifice was a part of their culture and religion. The collapse of the Aztec Empire brought in a 300-year period where the territory was called Nuevo España, or New Spain, with the heart of this region being named Mexico. Spain, being the only real power on that side of the world at the time, poured a lot into the region of Mexico. Because of this, Mexico can claim the number of first in the Western Hemisphere. The first university, the first public park, and the first public library. Now, Mexico would not stay under the yoke of Spain for much longer, however. Beginning in 1810, Mexico experienced a long period of uprising, revolts. The people demanded independence, and just like their northern neighbors, they were willing to fight tooth and nail for it. Finally, after years of conflict and insurgency, Spain formally recognized Mexico as an independent nation in 1821. The next few decades for the new nation were rocky, to be polite. At first, it was an empire with an emperor, and lasted about a year before a constitution was drawn up and it was then a republic. Not happy with this, some places began leaving this union. 1836 rolls around and Texas fights and wins its independence from Mexico at San Jacinto. Ten years later, Texas is annexed by the U.S., much to the chagrin of Mexico. America bullies Mexico into the Mexican-American War and forces them to sign a peace treaty where they not only accept blame for starting the war, but also give up all land north of the Rio Grande and the states that would be called New Mexico, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, California, and parts of Colorado. Look, I don't like Azatlan, but that was a direct deal. But the troubles don't end there. In 1847, in one of the most successful revolts in Native American history, the Maya people of the Yucatan revolted against Mexico. Antonia de Padua Maria Cervenio Lopez de Santa Ana y Perez de Lebron, damn, that's a mouthful, was exiled after his defeat in the Mexican-American War. In 1853, he was invited back to Mexico, where it went as it did the first time. He stole money from his own government, declared himself dictator for life, gave himself all these titles, and sold more land to the United States. I like that one title he had, Most Serene Highness. Uh, of course you do. In 1861, just as the U.S. was getting its own civil war underway, Mexico was occupied by France, who turned it back into an empire and transferred the rule to a Habsburg monarch Ferdinand Maximilian of Austria. On the 5th of May, 1862, the Mexican army beat France at the Battle of Puebla, 
and gave Americans their favorite foreign drinking holiday. The 20th century marked an unstable but relatively quiet time in Mexico's history when compared to what we just covered. From the 1900s to the turn of the century was marked by a period of internal conflict. Drug cartels rose to power and took their war to the streets, killing thousands of innocents in their battle for control of the drug trade. Political violence, kidnappings, these kinds of things became almost a daily occurrence. The police were corrupt, the government was corrupt, and the military was corrupt. It was only a matter of time before the bloated, rotting carcass that was the Republic of Mexico collapsed under the weight of all of that corruption. And in 2011, it did. Oro stepped in when the Mexican government finally caved. They helped provide medical support to the Mexican citizens after the VITAS outbreak killed millions. And they began putting money into the economy. Because of this, and other special planning, Oro put itself into a position where they had the power to influence the outcome of the most important part of any democracy, its elections. On the 5th of May, see, that's important, 2015, Francisco Pavón y Gutiérrez del Cordoba became the president of Mexico, and his first official act as El Presidente was to rename the country Azatlán. Azatlán, for those that don't know, is the spiritual home of the Aztec peoples. Where it is a real place that they migrated from, or simply part of their creation myth, is unknown. During the time of his presidency, Pavron's administration supported the sovereign American Indian movement, became a member of the NAN, and gained a seat on the tribal council. While this was happening, Oro, in an attempt to distance themselves from their cartel origins, rebranded themselves in 2022 into everyone's favorite core, as technology. This period of being everyone's friend came to an end when Azatlan decided to regain land it had lost in the north over a century ago. Of course, we've already talked about how they invaded Texas and captured San Antonio and half of Austin. But Texas wasn't the only place to feel the heat of Azatlan. The Pueblo Corporate Council lost territory to the Azis as well, and they even moved as far north as San Diego in California. While they saw a little success in the north, they soon turned their gaze south, and they gobbled up the remaining smaller Central American countries. In 2044, Azatlan naturalized all businesses within its border, much to the dismay of the corporate court. After years of workarounds, the court was finally able to authorize sanctions for other corps to basically declare war on Az technology. Operation Reciprocity bruised the Azzi's ego, but it couldn't stop the beast's march. When Amazonia began to make incursions northward, Azatlan answered by sending its military south. War broke out between the two superpowers, but later that same year it devolved into minor border skirmishes. In the 2050s, the people of the Yucatan once again rose up in rebellion. Azatlan responded by putting the boots to these insurgencies. The reprisals were swift, but continued into the 2060s. In 2061, when Ghostwalker returned to Denver on Christmas Eve, he and the Kaz drove Azatlan out of Denver. And in 2064, Azatlan signed a peace treaty with the Yucatan rebels. As it stands, Azatlan is ready. We all know they're cold-hearted bastards ready to declare war on anybody they perceive as weak, but they've done a good job of making the general public think they are the good guys. So now that we've talked about the history, 
Let's talk about some of the places within Azalon. First up, how about we talk about the seat of power for the nation, and that is Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan. Renamed its traditional Aztec name in 2015. Tenochtitlan is the capital of Azatlan. It's the home to the Great Pyramid of Quetzalcoatl. The water and air around the city is heavily polluted, and its nickname is El Humo, or the smoke. Now, I've heard tale that the astral plane is just as twisted and horrible as the pollution would have you believe, but somehow 20 million people call this city home, making it one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Next, the city of Bogota. Now, Bogota is an interesting place. It's a very important city to not just Azatlan, but also its secret lover, the David Cartel. See, the David Cartel have a vice grip on the black market drug trade in the city. If the citizens need anything, they have to deal with the cartel, or go without. The city is not entirely under Azatlan's political influence, and the battle for the city rages in the shadows and in the streets. It's the home of one of the largest minefields in the world, as well as the Sangir del Diablo trees. Nasty little pieces of work. There's a vid floating around the Matrix a while back about one of those trees and this little girl. And this is coming from me. I don't recommend watching it. Wow, was it really that bad? Okay. Well, the next city we'll talk about is Medellin. Medellin is the second largest city in Azatlan and home to one of the three founding cartels of Oro. Frequent clashes between the Medellin cartel and the David cartel happen as two fight to control the black market and the drug trade. The area around the city has been exploited to hell and gone. The land has been strip mined and the forest slashed and burned. I wouldn't say I love nature like it was my child, but you'd think the Earth had fracked Azatlan's sister and kicked its dog with the way the Azis have destroyed the environment around the city. Last up is San Diego. The former home to the U.S. resupply base is now home to the Azatlan Naval Resupply Base. Just as it had done when it belonged to the U.S., it now functions, functions as an important military depot for the Azis. And just like the old border towns from the 20th, there are a series of tunnels that are used to transport people and goods under the PCC border into places like LA. Though, just like the US government of that time, the Pueblo are trying very hard to destroy these tunnel systems. A couple of other pieces of information you may or may not find useful. The national religion of Azatlan is the Path of the Sun. While the religious practices of the ancient Aztecs didn't really have a name, the return to the old ways that the Azatlan government promotes is this religion. The priesthood is a powerful elite caste called the Nawahali, and the president serves as the head of the religion. All other religions are outright banned in Azatlan, including Catholicism. The military and the Aztecnology security forces violently crack down on dissent wherever they find it and the state controls the media with an iron grip. The propaganda machine of Ocelon is something of a marvel to behold. I mean, they're good. They'd make any communist or fascist government of olden times weep at their own mediocrity. 
They are great at making their citizens believe what they want them to. But also, they are great at keeping unwanted information from slipping out. While they do slip up from time to time, like that vid I mentioned earlier, it's really only through great effort of Shadowrunners and people who desire a free voice that the truth can get out. One final thing to go out on. Back in 64, Old Winter Night detonated one of its hidden nukes in the Panama Canal. This led Azatlan to construct the Nicaragua Canal, and it's proved to be far more successful and efficient than the Panama Canal ever was. Well, this is a good place to stop as any. I suppose that's the main gist of the Azis. Azatlan is a highly territorial, militaristic, fundamentalist nation which subjugates all dissent with an iron grip, while it goose steps into people's ways of life. I mean, that's a fairly accurate description and really hits the nail on the head. Kind of like a TLDR comment. If you find yourself heading into Azatlan, be careful. But as always, chums, I'm Wolf. And I'm Mr. Clean. And this has been Deniable Assets. Good night and good running, chummers. The music for Deniable Assets is written and performed by Johnny Clear and the Meltdowns. Support Deniable Assets team by donating to our Patreon. Email us at realdeniableassets at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook at the Deniable Assets page.